David, look at her surrounded by all these reporters. That's yeah. crazy. That's intense. That's absolute circus. Yeah, very intense. Uh, so uh, Caroline Ellison is like the only person closer to Sam Bankman-Fried than Gary Wang. Like not only was she in charge of Alameda, but like Sam Bankman-Fried and her were dating. Uh, they were sleeping together in 2019. They were dating in 2021. Then they broke up, but they were still together. Uh, yeah. And so like, you know, very incestuous business, dating, sleeping together relationship. Incestuous. Also in the Bahamas, like, well, the business relationship, everything's okay. just a mess. <laughs> just a they're bit, not just related complete, though. Let's just clear yes, that They're up. not related. Not re yes. <laughs> the, there's many other things, like there's a lot of convoluted guys. They're, they're not related. Bankless Nation, happy Friday morning. It is the second Friday of October, or should I say Flattober, David? It's, it's looking flat. pretty flat out it's there not. in the markets. It's down. No? It's sad. Oh, okay. Yeah, nice try. Well, I haven't looked at the markets. <laughs> you just put them in the prices in, but uh, we'll get to that. What else have we got on the week? Topics of the week. The SBF trial of FTX continues on to week two, Friday of last week, before we were able to cover it. Gary Wang, the CTO of FTX, testified. This week, Caroline Ellison testified for two days straight. There's a lot of juicy stuff to unpack there. Two days? Two days. 40, two days 48 hours stand. of testimony? Yeah. yeah. Oh, One wow. day was like eight hours straight. Uh, so uh, she just kind of dumped it all about Alameda on the table. Uh, little did I know that uh, Thai prostitutes would be involved with this story. Did you hear about this? Uh, no. Yeah. Well, okay. Like, oh, you haven't heard about this at all. Oh, you're about to get no. this fresh. No, oh, that, I haven't okay, read yeah. any of this. Thai prostitutes have entered the FTX arena. Entered the chat? Entered the chat, the, yeah. The, the arena. arena. It's funny you say that. They used uh -huh. to have an arena, didn't they? Uh, we also have Sam Altman. He's talking about crypto on Joe Rogan's show. What did he say? What did Was he it say? good? Yeah. Was it bad? Did he mention WorldCoin at all? Mm -hmm. uh, we'll get to that too. David, what else we got? Why do Americans own crypto? The Fed, uh. the Fed did a survey result. Uh, so we'll talk about that. Also, the vampire attack on Lido. I got some takes. That's at the very, very end. Uh, and then apparently, Ryan, we're giving our price predictions for ETH. Why are we doing this? You didn't know that? <laughs> no, I, that I did not know. I did, I did not you, sign up for You this. better be thinking of a number, okay? Because right, we're, right. we're getting to it. Uh, but before we get in, we've got a message from our friends and sponsors over at A16Z. You know A16Z, crypto mm -hmm. VC firm. Well, they, they're telling you they want you to go back to school. That is... Crypto Startup School. What are we looking at here, David? At A16Z Crypto Startup School, it is that time of the season where you can apply to join and get accepted by the Crypto Startup School. It's a 12-week accelerator program to make you into a crypto founder. So cue the, the Mulan music. We're going to make a founder out of you. Uh, that's what A16Z <laughs> is going to do. Uh, you're going to work with some of the best and brightest mentors in the crypto space, including some of the A16Z partners and sometimes just like external founders come in and just get involved the A16Z Startup School 12-week program, March 27th through June 11th in London, in the UK. So you, you will be there. Cool. This is on site. This is on campus. Uh, and yeah, it's great. Uh, you get to work with some fellow founders, work with some great mentors. You need to apply October 20th. That is in eight days from recording, seven days if you're listening to this on Friday, which you should be. Uh, so applications are open. Make sure you catch that deadline. We've got uh, some videos from Chris Dixon there. He's mm -hmm. going to be providing some mentorship. Also, Jin, Jin Wang from Optimism. Mm -hmm. Some fantastic people there. So, yeah, go check it out. Become a founder. I'm a founder. David, all right, you ready for You said it wasn't Flattober. It's not. But it's not Uptober, it's not is Uptober. it? Uptober. Does that mean it's the other direction? That means What's the other? Yeah, the other is the bad direction. It's the down <sighs> direction. Yeah, a little okay. bit. Okay, what's Bitcoin uh, Kind of accelerating week? to the downside a little bit. Started the week at 27,900, down 4.5%. Uh, we were asking for bigger moves last week. We kind of got them. Um, <laughs> 26,600 is where we are 
uh, this week. Seven hundred, excuse me. Okay, I guess it's better than flat. No, is this, I don't is this know. what we wanted? I don't know. I don't know if this is what I've wanted. Let's give me some ETH charts to, so I can decide. What yes. are we looking at? Uh, Start of the week at 1630, down 5.5% to 1540. 1540. Oof. I, I didn't want that. Oof. No, I didn't. It I didn't mean, feel good. I bought this week. Did you? Yeah. Yeah. That's the upside, actually. Yeah. It's like, what a fantastic buying opportunity. I've got to take about that at the end. And uh, of course, we're going to get to uh, price predictions, but I guess it's not op- <laughs> October, huh? We got, we got, we got, we um, got, we got half the month yet to redeem ourselves. Right. Yeah. It's only the 12th. Res- it's only the 12th. Yeah. Well, it was tomorrow's uh, Friday flat. the 13th. Congrats to all the bankless <laughs> listeners who are listening to this on Friday the 13th. Everyone brace yourselves. <laughs> Should we do something spooky, David? <laughs> uh, oh, dude, ratio. Halloween's coming up. We're going to have to get our costumes. I, even <laughs> I don't about care that. anymore. I'm not doing it. Are you doing no, a costume this the, year? They, for they love it. The, the listeners love it. We got to do, do it. Do they? We got to do it. I think you and I like it. Last but year, last know. year for bankless listeners who are new, who the the five new bankless listeners that have come in the last year, uh, Ryan dressed up <laughs> as BitBoy. <laughs> and oh I dressed, yeah, that's right. And I dressed right. up as a crypto dick butt. Yeah. Oh, dude, I'll be SBF and you'd be Caroline. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that's not what I signed up for. I already kind of have my my. Well, I haven't got my costume, but I've got my idea. Really? Yeah, I've got my idea. Wait, is this a thing where you're not going to tell me? We have, have we have to prep. We have not told each other. This has been the deal. We reveal. I know. Okay. okay. Do we do I'm the reveal at cameras off until we hit record? Um, oh, all right. I'm just. Well, I'm, I'm saying. The, with year one, I was my crypto punk. Now, now uh-huh. behind me. Uh, uh-huh. Year two, I was my crypto dick butt. Year three, if you continue the trend, it'll be an NFT, perhaps. 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 An NFT. One of your NFTs. One of my NFTs. Yeah. I think that's what? my rule of thumb. It's like I'm, I'm, gonna a, go I'm scan, an NFT. Scan your wallet. It's for, for, for some bankless listener, go find da- go track down David's wallet and, and let's see if we can predict. It's what David Hoffman Dottie. <laughs> <laughs> That's where I keep my NFTs. Super secret location. Uh-huh. Um, all right. How about the ETH Bitcoin ratio? That's uh, looking it's spooky. Bad. It's bad. Uh, 0.0577. Bad. Yeah. yeah it's bad. I was going to ask you to give it to me straight and you just did, huh? It's so bad. we're down 1.5% on the week? 1.5% on the week. Yeah. Total crypto market cap, one point zero. Eight trillion dollars. Uh, so it's not great. Can we All move right. on? Yeah, we can. Uh, okay. Thanks to Kraken for those charts. Uh, we appreciate the charts at least. Make them look better. Make them go up. <laughs> you can yeah, make can them look pretty, that? but can you make them go up? Hey, Kraken, can you help us with that? <laughs> All right. What are we looking at? Um, here we go. CPI. That is the Consumer Price Index. Inflation uh, reports came in for September. And guess what, David? It's not dead yet. No, inflation, inflation is still here. It was yet. actually a little higher than most analysts expected. Mm. So it was up 0.4% in the month of September. So it was not flat timber. It was up timber a little bit for inflation. <laughs> uh, and if you if you extrapolate that, yeah, I'm, I'm working the months in, in this show, David. 4.8% annualized. That's what inflation would be. Okay. It's starting to feel like 5% actually. That's yeah. annualized. That's if you take you know 1.4% multiply that by 12 months, right? But if you look at historic data, uh, we are at 3.7% okay. uh, annual. So okay. no, it's not dead. You see this bump? That's mm-hmm. a bump up. Yep. It's bumped up a little bit. Okay. Um, you know what's interesting is you and I just did a recording with Lynn Alton. So good. We talked about. So it was, good. It was fantastic. Guys, that episode is coming out soon. Actually, I still have her book right here. Yeah, yeah. Broken Money, David. Uh-huh. Um. Anyway, the contents of that book is in the episode and it's absolutely fantastic. But one of her takes was, what if inflation just becomes like background noise? 
for us. It, in- it, high background noise. Well, I mean, inflation is always background noise, but but what you're what you mean to say is like it's the volume is increasing. Still background but higher. I'm what I'm saying is like what if we don't go back to the 90s? What if we right. don't go back to the 2000s, 2%. right? Yeah. What if what if now it's just a sustained like 4, 5, 6, 7% spikes up, maybe tiny spikes down. Like what if it's in the background? And you know, Lynn's comment was that's how a lot of countries mm. live right. right now. I I'm talking about kind of in western developed nations, right? In Europe. What if, what if this is the new normal in Canada, in Australia? What if this is the new normal in the U.S.? What if this is the new normal? She she mentioned she was just in Egypt, 30% annual inflation, okay? And people just live like that. And so what do you do when in, you're in a high inflation type of environment? Well, you tend to spend more. You you right. might want to, you might be willing to take out more cheap debt if you can find it mm-hmm. uh, in fiat that's denominated in fiat. You might want to hold your money in other things, you know, real estate in a lot of emerging countries that don't have strong capital markets like the U.S., um, stocks for, uh, you know, Western developed countries like the U.S. maybe, crypto. Mm-hmm. May- maybe you start to think a bit more short term about your spending habits as well. Um, this is very interesting if this is what the next decade holds for us is kind of sustained high inflation rates. What do you think about this? I was talking to uh, Mariano Conti, who lives in Argentina, who bought a car maybe a few years ago, and he, he got a 20% interest loan in Argentine peso. So he's paying 20% interest. Terrible loan for yeah. for a car loan, for a one-year That's car loan. It's a loan shark. It's, yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> his first, but Mariano Conti like, lives on dollars like most people who do in, who live in Argentina. So his first, his first loan payment that he had to pay to pay back the loan was- Most people who can, I would say, in Argentina yeah. live on dollars, yes. Uh, well, the dollars are like uh, most every uh, everyone in Argentina. Almost everyone has a person that ex- they exchange dollars with. So it's not just really. Like, oh yeah, no. It's the dollarization of Argentina is like very well permeated. It's not like an elite. But it's all gray market, right? It's it's all gray like it's all gray market, and it's like social, totally social, culturally accepted, right? Every, wow. Everyone has like the guy that comes and swaps currency. Your dollar guy. Yeah, your dollar yeah, guy. Okay. Yeah, it's not okay. like a it's not like an elite only thing. It's just like everyone. Anyways, his first car loan payment uh, was twelve hundred dollars. So he converted twelve hundred dollars into pesos to pay his car loan. And his most recent car loan payment, he told me, was five hundred and eighty dollars because it only took five hundred and eighty dollars to acquire the same amount of pesos that he would need to pay back his car loan. Inside, so like when he takes incredible. like a twenty percent peso. Uh, uh, 20% uh, interest rate loan on a one-year loan, which is a dumb yeah. loan, it actually works out because it's inflating so goddamn much. Totally. It doesn't matter. Totally. Do, you know, do you know an elder millennial flex is just to be like, yeah, I got a mortgage at 3%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that's a huge, like that, what a right. gift that was. Right. I can't get that nowadays. And you know, it, you're, you're, you're basically um, making money on that mm-hmm. because inflation is, is higher than your interest payments. Mm-hmm. Um, so, the Fed has an idea on why people are buying crypto, and it's not necessarily inflation. So apparently, David, every couple of years, the Fed puts out a survey on why people buy crypto. They must they must be interested. I don't know if I don't know if they're worried or just um, how many times have they like, done this? Generally interested, at least since two thousand nineteen. Uh, first, guess what percentage of Americans the Fed says owns crypto? What do you think? Uh, well, Coinbase said fifty million. And there's like over 300 million uh, citizens. So like, yes. like, what was that number? Like 20%? Quick math? 20%. 20%. One yeah. five kind of yeah. thing? Yeah. yeah, yeah. 
the Fed reports less than that, okay? So this is a survey of about 400 um, Americans, and they say 8.1% okay. in their survey of Americans that own crypto, which is, which is not nothing. It's not Coinbase right. numbers. But interestingly enough, this was up from 1.9% oh, in 2019. Okay. 2019, 1.9%. Now, mm-hmm. 8.1%. Yeah, Directionally, actually, I love that number. It's a great, it's a great, like, that's a great multiple, right? It was right. a little 4X for us. Mm-hmm. And I think these numbers are actually 2022 numbers. So, oh. maybe, you know, although no one's really buying 2023, yeah. are they? <laughs> <laughs> They're probably selling. Um, but one of the questions they asked in this survey is, why do you guys, why are you guys buying crypto? Why do you own crypto? All right. Uh, you want to know the number one reason why 67% of Americans uh, own crypto, David? You want to guess what that is? Uh, number go up. Yeah, it's it's number go up as yeah. an investment. Right. As an investment was number one with sixty seven percent. Number two was curiosity about the tech. <laughs> was twenty one. I'm in it for the tech. <laughs> There's always for those the tech. <laughs> <laughs> those are the ones that are down on their bags. They're just in it for the tech. And then other, interestingly enough, was ten uh, percent. You know what got no mentions right. was remittances, uh, payments for goods and services. So no one using this as a, a payment in their in their study. Or, or number, uh, the last one, most disheartingly, almost at zero, because they don't trust banks. Well, duh. Uh, you don't, <laughs> as an American, buy crypto for remittances. Well, no? okay, I guess if you are an American citizen and you are sending crypto abroad, then I guess I guess you are, if you're like a-, a If you a, have family abroad, family if you've abroad, recently yeah. immigrated, that sort of thing, you know, you know maybe, maybe. Right. You're probably doing like um, you know, stable coins, I yeah. would expect. Um, yeah, but the big use case of the eight percent is investment. Is number okay. go up? So, any, anything surprising there for you, David? No, that that checks out. Well, I know you're in it for the tech, man. So twenty percent. I'm in it for the memes. <laughs> uh, here's a number. That's all we got at this point in the market, Christ. Ooh. Okay, here, here's a number that is straight down. It looks scary. Is this a, a, a good chart or a bad chart we're looking at? This is oh, uh, the validator oh. queue. Explain this is, it. Okay, so this is, okay, now we're talking about crypto. Yeah. <laughs> this is, we're that was a crypto. hard pivot. That's a hard pivot. Okay, this is we're, the Ethereum proof of stake validator queue. Uh, okay, yeah. so a uh, quick uh, rock through memory lane. Uh, we enabled mm. withdrawals. Uh, the supply of Ether in the beacon chain went down because people withdrawed. And then the rate of inflows into the beacon chain, like, accelerated bigly, like 3 x Beacon uh, chain is just people who want to stake the their proof ETH. of stake. The proof of stake, yeah. yeah. There was like a 45-day wait queue to get into uh, the beacon chain to stake their ETH a while ago. Uh, we have finally approached an equilibrium. That acceleration of people depositing into proof of stake has finally started to uh, come down. Uh, and yeah. so it's currently less than 24 hours to uh, deposit your ETH into the Beacon Chain staking contract and get your Ether staking. Uh, and so this is, this is we this inevitably was going to, this was never going to be up only, of course, like, you know, not all Ether is going to stake. Uh, and so we are have found the equilibrium. That equilibrium is around 27.3 million staked Ether. That's 22.7%, which is about the 20 to 30% uh, range that we predicted. Uh, yep. So about 3.5% APR is about, what the market wants. And if that goes down, then people won't want it anymore. And that this is the equilibrium that we have finally arrived at. Cool. cool. It is cool. A bullish, bearish. I, I don't neutral. know. It's just like, straight neutral. It, as a staker, I was, um, you know, wanting to keep that number above 3%. 
Right. Certainly. Right. So I, I didn't want the queue to stay right. full and the demand to be right. kind of perpetual. Yes. And so as a there, staker, you are not it's alone. good to see that number go you down. You are not alone in that. Every, everyone <laughs> oh, would you like feel that, that way to too? go up. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Everyone well, else should unstake. Please unstake. I think it, one reason, why, you know, why was it, why did it get so high? Because 45 days is, is pretty Very high, long, right? Yeah. For all mm-hmm. these people wanting to get in the, in the Beacon Chain Club and stake their ETH, um, I think it was really because once withdrawals went through mm-hmm. post-Shanghai, people just saw like lower risk. I mean, mm-hmm. may, maybe I'm extrapolating, but that was true for me. I was exactly. just like, okay. It was so obvious. I, I was arguing with Bitcoin Maxis about like, as soon as withdrawals are enabled, Ethereum's going to collapse because everyone's going to unstake. I'm like, you're an idiot. That's not how why it's going to work. Why do you do that to yourself, David? Why do you still <laughs> argue with Bitcoin Maxis, huh? Because people are wrong on the internet, Ryan. Oh, okay. You can't sleep. Yeah, yeah, can't yeah. sleep. Someone's wrong on the internet. Um, token terminal. Speaking of Bitcoin. You want to get your, all your all your angry uh, takes out about Bitcoin? Frentech just surpassed Bitcoin in thirty day fees. Okay, Frentech is making more money selling each other's friends, friend shares. Sorry, they don't call them that. Uh, friend keys, keys, friend keys. Then Bitcoin is making selling block, block space. space. Oof. That's what this means. That's a layer Bullish, two app. Bearish. That's a, not even a layer one app on Ethereum. A layer two app is making more money than Bitcoin is. Yeah, so and, that's and Frentech. paying Ether very little for security because it's on layer two. Frentech revenue, uh, 28 million. Bitcoin revenue, 26 million mm. over the last 30 days. ETH mm. revenue, 90 million. Tron <laughs> revenue, <laughs> 87 million. The Tron revenue is actually such a dark horse. Uh, turns out Tron has very similar economics to Ethereum and it's it's yeah. super duper used for payments. Uh, and Dave, it gets a- you should be you should be careful. Uh, saying Tron, okay, because um, that old Justin ah. Sun guy is kind of litigious, so uh, <laughs> you should be careful what you say about him. Are we going to open up the store? Okay, can you can you open up the article then? If if we're going to open up the what store, article? the okay. uh, we're going to open the, it. The ban- okay, Bankless released a Tron bull versus bear case. Uh, Let me find in- this. Inspired by uh, at least for me, it was inspired. I didn't write it. Uh, it was inspired by Paul Enya's, uh, uh article about the economics of Tron and how they're like, they're mimics ether and they're kind of bullish. Uh, and so we, we published this article, Jack wrote it, great, great, great article, wrote the bear case and then the bull case. And so there was a, when it, talking about the bull case for Tron is already super dubious. Why is it dubious? Well, cause the founder, Justin Sun, uh, I, in my opinion, is a morally bankrupt character. Uh, Ooh, and we careful, alluded, David. yeah, I, it's just my opinion. It's my opinion. And <laughs> you could say that we just, uh, uh, the article gave that disclaimer. It's like, Hey, the bear case for Tron is that, you know, Justin Sun is dubious. He's, uh, there's allegations of fraud. Uh, and then <laughs> the author and the newsletter editor of Bankless got pulled into a telegram group with Justin Sun's lawyers for Tron. And they submitted a cease and desist they for did. talking shit. And they so- threatened legal action uh-huh. against Bankless for publishing. By the way, this wasn't just the bear case. It was the the, the bear case and the bull and case. The bull because case. we just actually said there is kind of a weird bull case about Tron, which yeah. is that it's generating a lot of fees and it's burning those transactions. Okay, it's completely centralized. It's completely part of the Justin Sun empire, but it is actually producing revenue. Number two, behind Ethereum. Uh, yeah, we got sent this uh, cease and desist from um, Tron. And um, 
We talk to our lawyers. Here's here's what they say. Wild assertions like Tron's primary function is to enrich its insiders and participating in the zero-sum game is a mistake that you will invariably regret. (laughs) If if you want to live on a chain wrought with fraud and deception, then Tron might just be the one for you. God, I'm so proud of Jack. That's what what, um, Jack put in the post. But but, yeah, the the Tron's lawyers disputed that. They didn't like that. They sent us a cease and desist. (laughs) Um, We talked to our lawyers and they said, you look, you got First Amendment rights. You get to say whatever you want. Yeah, yeah, but uh, do you really want to get in a pissing match with um, a Justin's son? We said, yeah, he can outspend eh, us. We already shipped the newsletter, so we'll just strip that from the yeah, article. Yeah, so, so we, we we'll have see. stripped it from the record because I don't want <laughs> yes. to go up against a, a billionaire who's got way more money than me. Unless he's going to be a total bully, and then right. like, and then we I might mean, talk about it on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, just our opinion. <laughs> just, our opinion. just our opinion. It's just my opinion not anyone else's, that Justin's son is morally bankrupt and probably so are the lawyers who work for him. There you go. Just an opinion. Just an opinion. Um, okay, so back to uh, the fees, though. <laughs> back to <laughs> We're crypto. talking about Bitcoin fees, 30 days. I mean, I don't know, David. The quick take is I don't think this is great for Bitcoin. And, um, you know, we've said this for a long time, since 2019, when it was a lot less pos- po- uh, popular to talk about the sustainability or the lack of sustainability of Bitcoin's right. monetary schedule and, and model. And, um, you know, it's, it, it's starting to pop up again. It still Wait, won't get I'm, okay. really bad. I'm looking at the graph that you have on the screen, which is just the um, token terminal, like graph of who's making money. Ethereum, number one, Tron, number two, bullish. <laughs> Lido, number three, FriendTech, <laughs> number four, Bitcoin, Uniswap. Yeah. Uh, where's Solana? There's 25 apps on here. No, Solana doesn't make money, dude. Not not the not the traditional way. It doesn't, doesn't even make, make the top twenty five in fees. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't. But you know, everyone values. But the bull case for Solana is fees. That's what they say. They make it up in volume. Like no, low I think fees, I think I actually but they make it I up think in volume. The, I think the bull case for Solana is a fees, but MEV. It's selling. You got to sell the block ordering at some uh, point. MEV. Extraction. It's going to be less the user fees. Yeah, it's MEV extraction. For right. sure. Not our rent extractors, their rent extractors. Hey, semantics. Right. Um, you know what? There, we, we promised the last thing here is... Um, God, tribal warfare coming out left and right yeah. in this um, Price predictions, though. Okay, okay? Yep. so yep. this yep. was a yep. price yep. prediction from Standard Chartered Bank. Don't my know fa- who Standard my, Chartered my, Bank is. My favorite bank. Is that your favorite bank? All. Yeah, uh-huh. Okay, well, they, they're analyzing Ether, and uh, according to their analysts, Ether could reach... Eight thousand dollars by the end of twenty uh, twenty six. Okay. So, but that's not their top side. The uh, top side at the end of the journey, the long term range is twenty six thousand to thirty five thousand. Okay. All right. Now yep. we're talking. Yep. And I don't okay. know what timeline that is, but it's, that's it's probably like in, in the fullness 10 of years time. Out. It sounds in like the, yeah. yeah, something like this. Final the, destination. The equilibrium of, of ETH prices. Yeah. yeah, the equilibrium. So. Uh, I don't know what like backs their analysts, but I know David, you have some takes on the price of ETH. Or at do least, I? I don't if you know don't, that I do. at this point in the episode, when I teased you just like 15 minutes ago <laughs> to get your take ready, because I'm going to ask you, what do you think the top is for this bull cycle for Ether? What's the top? Call, give me a number. Call the top for the next cycle. Uh, I mean, my gut, my heart says 15K. <sighs> okay. 15K. So we had 10K okay. was the mean price last bull market and we got yeah. to 4,800, which in logarithmic terms actually isn't terribly far off from that, but you know, still a two X or away from the top. Um, so increasing last cycles call from 10 K to 15 K I think is appropriate. 
So, and what, what do you think? Are you willing to time box that? You know, are we talking 2024, 25, 26 longer? Uh, assuming four year cycles play out, then yeah. End of 26 by the end of 26. What year is it? 2023? 15K. By 2026 Soon, is what you're saying. 15K in two years. Whew, that's starting to get real specific. That's making me a little scared. There you go. <laughs> Those are well, some specific you know. numbers and times, which I am right. just pulling from my absolute, you know what? I don't know. I mean, uh, you know, that's only double what Standard Chartered Bank said. So you're, yeah, you're in and, big company here. Yeah, right. Okay. All right. Well, wait, wait, what's your number? You, you say you want to know my number? Yeah. Uh, I was going to go 12,500. Okay. Okay. But in honor of Friday the 13th, 13,000 13, is my number. 13,000. This is me saying that's the top. That's the, top. the uh, ETH price top for next uh-huh. cycle, 13,000. I'm just okay. a little bit under 15,000. My rationale is we're looking at it like a- another, like David's too bullish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My, my rationale is take anything David says and then discount it by yeah, like 20% because right. that's, that's what we do in this podcast. <laughs> Your brain's anyway, gas. <laughs> those are our numbers. Those are our numbers. David, what do we have coming up in the episode? Coming up next, SBF trial week two, Gary Wang. We got to talk about him because he was last week, but we didn't cover him because he was on Friday. Caroline Ellison this week, kind of a cin- climactic cinematic moment in the trial. Uh, there's a lot to cover, including, Ryan, don't forget about the Thai prostitutes. Got to talk about them. Um, <laughs> okay, wow. You're weirdly excited about that part. I don't know. <laughs> also, crypto is playing a role in the story of the Israel-Hamas conflict, so we'll discuss the details there. Uh, and of course, there's always just going to be the regular old news of the week. Some new chains coming to Polygon. Remember ApeCoin, now ApeChain. So we'll talk about that. Farcasters going permissionless. All this stuff and more. But first, I'm going to talk about these fantastic sponsors that make this show possible, especially Kraken, our preferred exchange for crypto in 2023. If you're not having an account with Kraken, then consider clicking the link in the show notes to get started with Kraken today. Kraken Pro has easily become the best crypto trading platform in the industry. The place I use to check the charts and the crypto prices, even when I'm not looking to place a trade. On Kraken Pro, you'll have access to advanced charting tools, real-time market data, and lightning-fast trade execution, all inside their spiffy new modular interface. Kraken's new customizable modular layout lets you tailor your trading experience to suit your needs. Pick and choose your favorite modules and place them anywhere you want in your screen. With Kraken Pro, you have that power. Whether you are a seasoned pro or just starting out, join thousands of traders who trust Kraken Pro for their crypto trading needs. Visit pro.kraken.com to get started today. Arbitrum is accelerating the Web3 landscape with a suite of secure Ethereum scaling solutions. Hundreds of projects have already deployed on Arbitrum 1 with flourishing DeFi and NFT ecosystems. Arbitrum Nova is quickly becoming a Web3 gaming hub and social dApps like Reddit are also calling Arbitrum home. And now Arbitrum Orbit allows you to use Arbitrum's secure scaling technology to build your own layer three, giving you access to interoperable, customizable permissions with dedicated throughput. Whether you are a developer, enterprise, or user, Arbitrum Orbit lets you take your project to new heights. All of these technologies leverage the security and decentralization of Ethereum and provide a builder experience that's intuitive, familiar, and fully EVM compatible. Faster transaction speeds and significantly lower gas fees. So visit Arbitrum.io where you can join the community, dive into the developer docs, bridge your assets, and start building your first app with Arbitrum. Experience Web3 development the way it was always meant to be. Secure, fast, cheap, and friction-free. Here it is, SBF trial. It's week two, David. Uh, Seems like only last week it was week one, and that's because it was week one last week. And so now it's week two. (laughs) (laughs) 
some new characters, <laughs> new testimony <laughs> entering. <laughs> well, you give me the analysis. So yeah. I have absolutely no idea what happened. I saw some uh, mm -hmm. illustrations, like the one that we're yep. looking at, which is uh -huh. Car Caroline Ellison looking at uh, Sam Bankman-Fried, looking right. absolutely bewildered, um, yeah. you know, sad. Here, here's another These one, by the way. did the characters just zero favors. <laughs> <laughs> So, okay, my hot take is I feel like the illustrator here, this is more art than actual, like, what these people look like. Uh, my take is that the illustrator here is going to sell these for NFTs later as and NFTs, that is as a iconic hot take. NFTs. That is a hot take. I'm assuming the illustrator works for the court. So if I don't know how this works, but that's property of the court. Really? Which I, how that I, works? I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe the court can issue an NFT. Maybe I don't the know. Court, right. Yeah. So, my tinfoil hat's off. So tell us what happened. What okay. happened in week two of the SBF trial? Some bombshells, I'm sure. Uh, well, first we have to start with last week, Gary Wang. We need to cover what he talked about on Friday. Gary Wang, the okay. CTO of FTX. Uh, this and is this, is, this is the illustration of Gary Wang. Uh, really smart glasses he's wearing here. <laughs> uh, okay, so what was, the big punchline was that, you know, the story goes that we understood as crypto uh, Twitter, crypto people, was that uh, Terra Luna, collapsed, wiping out $50 billion, followed by three arrows capital, another like, you know, X numbers of billions of dollars. And that's where the hole in the Alameda FTX balance sheet uh, occurred because they had exposure. Yeah, that was the common narrative. That, that, that's what that I was, thought. That was what we understood and, you know, kind of makes sense. Turns out yeah. that the hole in FTX's balance sheet started at Genesis with their very early relationship with Alameda. Alameda- Genesis of what? Of the whole thing, FTX, Alan Alameda in 2019 had what? a convoluted relationship that allowed for Alameda to borrow funds from FTX starting in 2019. It did not begin in 2022. This started from Genesis. FTX was a fraud from Genesis. Uh, and that, that was the big uh, learning moment that we got out of Gary Wang. The way that it started wow. was that um, uh, I think they... they uh, Alameda just wanted to be able to do some things. And so at Sam's direction, and so both Caroline Ellison and Gary Wang, who testified this week, uh, it's understood that they have entered plea deals with prosecutors. And so both of them thematically would use these words at Sam's direction. Uh, so Gary Wang- They kept saying that. They kept, they kept saying, saying yeah. I did this at Sam's at direction, Sam's direction. this was conducted so, yeah. at Sam's direction. In 2019, Gary Wang, at Sam's direction, according to Gary Wang, uh, allowed for Alameda to borrow customers' funds using the Alameda backdoor that Gary Wang coded up himself. And it started off as just like, I think like, you know, something not terribly crazy in the grand scheme of things, like a $10 million line of credit, which went up to a $100 million line of credit, which went up to a billion dollar line of credit because Alameda kept on maxing it out. I think like just straight up losing money and also uh, some other shenanigans, but like the idea of Alameda, the, the myth around Alameda was they were just printing money and they yeah. were just like extremely lucrative prop trading shop. Um, wow. Yeah, so turns out they were shit traders because they were kids at the wheel and they didn't know what they were doing. Uh, and they and Alameda would like keep on tapping into FTX's uh, customer deposits and they would have, there was like a number and the whole, the whole premise here was that Alameda, FTX, FTX allowed Alameda's trading account to um, go negative. And this is, uh, this is just giving them a line, of, a line of credit. FTX was giving Alameda a line of credit. This is not unheard of in the world of exchanges. Like you can enter line of credit with crypto exchanges, but they're like small. They're like $1 million, but they're, $2 but they're million. Also, they're also separate 
they're also separate entities, right? right. That, they're also that separate seems entities. To me, it if is you're a, telling me that is a business relationship. Well, if you're telling me that 2019 is when all this started, right? Mm-hmm. Like that seems like it's an original sin. Yes. Like you, you have this this uh, trading firm, this fund mm-hmm. married with your exchange. Right. Like those two things being one in the same owner right. seems like that is uh, from inception right. a problem, right. a sin, <laughs> an original sin, I guess. Right. So Alameda just kept on pushing up that line of credit, it got to $1 billion, it got to $5 billion, it got to $10 billion. And then, and then Gary, uh, when he testified, he's like, at some point he's like, F it, I'm not gonna stop bothering me to increase the line of credit. I'm just gonna max it out. I'm going to mm-hmm. enter effectively infinity line of credit for Alameda from FTX. The actual number was $65 billion, but that's effectively infinity because, they, mm-hmm. because Alameda kept on top, like, topping it up. Uh, and <laughs> there's this one moment inside of the court case where the lawyer uh, asked Gary Wang, are you aware of the difference between solvency and liquidity? And Gary Wang, I'm sure this was hilarious in the, in the moment, just responds, now I am. A <laughs> wow. L- little bit late, a little bit late, a little bit late. Okay, so that's, that's Gary's take on it, yeah. which is, mm-hmm. um, you know, the number one of the major witnesses in this right. case. But uh, the, the, the second punchline one- here is that Sam Bankman-Fried told Ga- uh, Gary Wang, to code up the ability for the Alameda to have the back back door. And he was also telling them, uh, he was also the guy telling Gary Wang, hey, increase Alameda's credit limit. Increase Alameda's credit limit. And Gary Wang was like, mm-hmm. yeah, okay, fine. That's what, that's what he's saying okay, to do. Boss. Yeah, right. okay, boss, right. Uh, how about Caroline? She is the other okay. um, witness here that is yes. you know, the key to this whole case. Yes, okay, so this is kind of like the big moment of the trial because uh, Gary Wang was very close to uh, Sam Bankman David, Fried look and, at her surrounded by all of these reporters. That's yeah, crazy. That's intense. That's, Absolute circus. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, very intense. Uh, so uh, Caroline Ellison is like the only person closer to Sam Bankman Fried than Gary Wang. Like not only was she in charge of Alameda, but like, Sam Bankman Fried and her were dating. Uh, they were sleeping together in 2019. They were dating in 2021. Then they broke up, but they were still together. Uh, yeah. And so, like, you know, very incestuous business dating, sleeping together relationship. Incestuous. Also in the Bahamas, like, well, the business relationship. Everything's okay. just a mess. <laughs> just a, they're not related, though. Let's just clear yes, that they're up. They're not related. Not re- <laughs> yes. The, there's many other things. Like, there's a lot of convoluted things. They're, they're not related. Gross. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay. Again. Uh, Caroline also frequently used the words at Sam's direction. Um, mm. The main focus of the Monday testimony, I believe it was Monday, uh, was Alameda's financial documents that they were going, that they showed to Genesis, Genesis uh, Capital, in pursuit of a line of credit from Genesis. So Genesis asked Caroline Ellison if she could provide documentation of Alameda's financials, just doing proper due diligence. Uh, Ellison said that she was worried that providing accurate financials would show that Alameda was far too risky to be able to like lend money towards. Uh, so okay. the, the pair, uh, Ellison, Ellison and SBF, devised strategies to improve the looks of Alameda's financial positions. Uh, so at the direction of SBF, says Caroline, uh, she produced seven different balance sheet reports. So like oh. seven different versions of looking at the truth. There was, and these were titled main, which was truth. And then alt uh-huh. one, alt two, alt three, four, five, six, seven. Oh, um, this is this is a crypto principle. You just fork things. We get all these alts, <laughs> yeah. all balance sheets, huh? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, okay. okay, so it was agreed upon between SBF and Caroline that main could not be shown to anyone. Because, like I said, that's it would the cause, one. duh, yeah, that's, that's the truth. Yeah, hide that one. Uh, <laughs> so they, they, SBF was shown, like, here are seven different balance sheets reports, and SBF chose seven. Um, 
Num- number seven. Number seven. Number seven. The seven. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I can, I'll make the assumption here as like one was like the most truthy and seven was the least truthy. I'm, this is uncorroborated. This is me shooting from the hip. But I mean, he chose number seven of seven. I'm going to go with he, knowing Sam and knowing what we know in this trial, he chose the least truthy one. Um, okay. But it's got to kind of feel truthy. It can't yeah. be like all rainbows and unicorns, right? right? It has, yeah, to, yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, has to deceive some, uh, some creditors here. Anyway, go okay. on. Are you ready for the alchemy that uh, has ensued yeah. in Alt-7? Okay. Give, give uh, it to me. The main punchline is that Alt-7 obscured the fact that Alameda borrowed $9.9 billion from FTX. Of course, that's the punchline. Uh, FTX did not have $9.9 billion in profits, and so they need to cover up that hole. Um, interestingly, $4.5 billion from Alameda's balance sheet was made into venture investments by ex- executives. So that's SBF, that's Caroline Ellison, that's Gary uh, Wang, and like I think one other. $4.5 billion. Why do they do it in their own personal names? Uncertain, um, perhaps tax advantage reasons? Uh, uncertain. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, th- so the Alt-7 report labeled this $4.5 billion as on their balance sheet as a long-term asset, not mm-hmm risky venture capital investments, they just wrote it off. Like, hey, we invested $4.5 billion. These are long-term assets. Uh, I mean, venture is long-term. It's dubious to call venture investing a long-term asset, but I guess if you spray and pray $4.5 billion, you're gonna get something out of it, which is also a story for the the show. We'll talk about Anthropic. Um, Anyways, that $4.5 billion of venture capital was subtracted from the $9.9 billion of customer funds from FTX. Oh, I also missed a line. Uh, in Maine, in the Maine report, there was a line item called FTX borrows. <laughs> and it was, nine, it was $9.9 billion. That's the thing that they were like, well, that can't, that can't be uh, shown. Right. Uh, okay, so they took this $4.5 billion of illiquid venture capital investment, subtracted it from the $9.9 billion to get 5.5. And then the Alt-7 report renamed this line item to long-term loan. So instead of... billion of customer liabilities, which are at risk of being called forward at any moment, because again, if you're running an exchange, you're supposed to be fully liquid, it instead turned that into a $5.5 billion long-term liability. So this is kind of the big punchline, and this practice was basically rinsed and repeated over certain aspects of the balance sheet and over time as well. David, this is just good old-fashioned cook in the books, isn't it? And yeah. I, you know, one thing I scratch my head, I'm like, where are the accountants here? Didn't they have any CPAs? Like, isn't somebody auditing their books? But okay, I guess you can just like fork your balance sheet and make yeah. it say what, whatever it's you just want. A, it's just a Google doc, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. So what is being testified in court is that Caroline is saying that Sam reviewed and approved this. Mm. She doesn't have any proof of this. So this is Caroline versus Sam. Caroline is saying, Sam told me to do this. He's, he is the one that selected number seven. It was at Sam's direction. Uh, this is Caroline's word versus Sam. Uh, a lot of this information and analysis I'm getting from Carly Riley, who, uh, you know, overpriced JPEGs, uh, yeah. who was in the courtroom listening to this. She, so Carly's I mean, going to all the uh, Carly's sessions, Carly's going huh? to court. So like wow. Carly's opinion is that she totally believes Caroline. And she, again, she watched this testimony in person. So there's some- she, Has she done a body language analysis? You know, the whole thing <laughs> you gotta- know, I, don't <laughs> I don't know. Okay, so th- that is the Alameda balance sheet uh, conversation. So 
Uh, any questions about that? You ready to move no, on to other, other I'm, aspects? I'm ready. It okay. sounds uh, pretty clear cut, honestly. Not great, yeah. Uh, okay, so then there's conversations around SBF's morality and worldview. So Caroline recalled how SBF had said that lying and stealing money were permissible in his worldview. Caroline so that's said, what the prosecution was going for. They're like, they're yes. not only, they're, they're like the facts of the balance sheet and forking the balance sheet, and then how does this person think right. was right. at play in the courtroom? Yeah, yeah. So, so Caroline talked and reflected about her own moral compass and how Sam's like conviction about utilitarianism warped her own sense of morality, that lying and fraud were acceptable to more acceptable to her than she would have predicted just a few years prior. Thanks to the influence of Sam Bankman-Fried. Now, can I just pause? Of course, the person on the stand is mm-hmm. going to play the victim card, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, little old me, it was all Sam. Yep. And, like that is like a common yep. kind of trope yep. that is going mm-hmm. to happen. So we should filter it through that yes. that sort of a lens too. Yes, and the defense, Sam Bankman-Fried's lawyer, the defense is, is poking at that. They're saying, oh, okay. well, remind, jury, please be reminded that this person has very likely entered a plea deal and is influenced about that. So that's what the defense is saying. Courts are great. They really yeah. like, they're yeah. they're great. This is a great way to <laughs> kind of get all the facts on the table on both, yeah. both sides. Okay, uh, continue, yeah. Yeah, she also said that it was a large part of Alameda and FTX culture to not put anything into writing and to use Signal with auto-delete settings turned on. That was a part of the culture, kind of implicitly. So every, everyone kind of knows we're committing fraud here. Um, yeah. uh, so, they, so that's that. Uh, that's morality and worldview. Uh, there's a section of Sam's, uh, m- like, m- um, his maintenance of his own public appearance. So Caroline said that Sam wanted to look sloppy. Uh, oh, she he said succeeded. that- Succeeded. Yes. He succeeded very well there. Yeah, she said that press uh, and investors frequently took Sam Bankman-Fried's appearance as a sign that he was a typical Silicon Valley nerd who knew how to code but didn't care much about fancier designer clothes or cars, which was exactly the image he wanted. Quote, he did not cut his hair often. We actually don't need that. (laughs) We know that. (laughs) That is evident. Uh, Sam said that he often got higher bonuses at Jane Street because of his hair, and he wanted to lean into his hair because it was a very like valuable part of his brand. SBF's hair is like part of his vibe. Yeah, so yeah, there's definitely some uh, iconic hair there, David. You, you got to hand it to him for <laughs> it's that. Hard, to, hard um, to miss. Are you ready for the <laughs> Taiwanese prostitutes? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I almost this? forgot about that. Okay. Yeah, what right. happens okay. now? Okay. So Alameda had funds stored on OKX and Huobi, both Chinese mm-hmm. exchanges. In 2021, these accounts were frozen at the direction of Chinese officials due to a money laundering investigation of someone who traded with Alameda. SBF and execs who kind of need every single dime that they can get their hands on because they're levered to the absolute tits were like, well, this can't, this can't be. Uh, they had a billion dollars of locked capital on these two exchanges, on their trading accounts. Uh, and so they really needed to get this capital off. And so they just like slammed heads and was like, how do we get this, how do we get our money back? Um, so one idea was that they would make further OKX trading accounts fake trading accounts using the ID of Thai prostitutes. So somehow they got a bunch of Thai prostitute uh, IDs and they made trading accounts. And the strategy was that Alameda would both control their own account. They could trade on the on the exchange, they just couldn't withdraw. So they could, they could make trades, they just couldn't withdraw the money. And so they made some fake accounts using these Thai prostitute IDs. And their plan was to make just absolute dog shit trades. And then the Thai prostitutes would take the other end of that uh, end, other end of that trade, and it would effectively be a transfer of capital from one account to the uh, another, and they would mm. be able to withdraw. Um, 
that didn't work, <laughs> surprise, but they legitimately tried to do this. Uh, another a Chinese employee of FTX attempted to broker a connection, a deal between a, a Chinese official who they could bribe with $150 million, which I, they ultimately went through with. Uh, and this showed up on the Alameda balance sheet as a negative $150 million line labeled, quote, the thing. <laughs> because the Caroline thing? did not want to put these facts into writing that they were bribes. <laughs> No one's going to suspect it if we just label it the thing. The, wow. The thing. Uh, but <laughs> that's how that works. Miles, $50 million, the thing. So Chinese <laughs> authorities can just freeze accounts, and the way yep. to get that unfrozen is $150 million. You know what? This whole I mean, $150 million whole, can do a lot of things in this world. This whole, um, I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know. Um, this whole thing, though, is just like, it's the underbelly of crypto exchanges as well i'm not saying all crypto exchanges Mm -hmm. right um but like some of them at least wow i mean get this to DeFi as quickly as possible Mm -hmm. is one of my reactions (laughs) here um Uh okay so what else we got david okay i think this is uh, this is a nice way to just wrap this whole thing up this kind of talks about just the absolute lunacy that is sam bankman freed uh and so there was one quote that really stood out for the entire trial uh, and so this is a Twitter account kind of going back and forth on the questions, um, uh, starting with just the, it, it, it injects this conversation into a weird spot, but we're going to skip past that. So Ellison says, we started sleeping together on and off in the summer of 2020. We dated and we broke up. Uh, and then the attorney says, uh, what did the defendant tell you about his ambitions? And Ellison said that he would be president. And, and the attorney says, of, of what? Ellison says, of the United States. Wow. So Sam Bankman-Fried had aspirations of being president of the United States of America. Wow. There it is. Absolute delusion. There it is. So that's that that all makes sense then. It's mm-hmm. that level of megalomania that that causes you to um like fall the way he yeah. he fell. And Icarus. Straight I think Icarus. The, the big revelation here is since 2019 this has been going on. And it just yeah. got bigger from and bigger Genesis. and bigger from there. It from was a Genesis fraud from though. the get-go. No kidding. All right. Well, that's uh, FTX and SBF yep. this week, David. So I guess stay tuned for next week, week three. Yep. Yeah. How many weeks who's, do we have? Who's this? left to testity? They uh, testify. Um, SBF, right? They're going to put him on the stand, aren't they? Oh, yeah. We'll oh, yeah. That's going to be fun. We'll that's see, we'll see if they make him cry. We'll see. Yeah. Make him uh, all right, make him. What do we got? What do we got coming up next? <laughs> uh, we're going to talk about crypto during wartime. Uh, we're going to talk about Farcaster going permissionless. We're going to talk about so many other things. Ape Chain. Everyone wants to talk about Ape Chain. We'll talk about the Five Shades of Lido. Really good article from uh, climbing buddy Mike Neuter, uh, as well as so many things and more. But first, a moment to talk about these fantastic sponsors, especially MetaMask and MetaMask Portfolio. If you have not opened up your MetaMask Portfolio, it looks so good. Check it out. There's a link in the show notes. MetaMask Portfolio is your one-stop shop to manage your crypto assets and to tap into DeFi all in one place. And the most important part of that experience, buying crypto, obviously. MetaMask Portfolio's buy feature enables you to purchase crypto easily without going through centralized exchanges. Designed with you in mind, you can fund your wallet directly in just a few clicks with convenience and simplicity. What happens when you press the buy button? Rather than being limited to a single payment provider, MetaMask brings together a bunch of vetted, trustworthy providers to present you with customized quotes for your crypto purchase. Once you've funded your wallet, you'll be able to plug into DeFi with all the money verbs like swapping, bridging, and staking. But first things first, you need skin in the game. Head over to metamask.io slash portfolio to buy crypto the easy way. 
Hiring people worldwide, paying them in crypto, providing them access to benefits, it all so complex. But it doesn't have to be. Complying with labor laws, payroll rules, tax obligations, and crypto regulations in every country that you employ someone is difficult, time-consuming, manual, and costly. And it's drawing more and more attention from regulators and governments. But there is good news. Toku is here. Toku is the first employment and compensation platform for the crypto industry that makes this easy. Toku helps you hire employees or contractors and pay them in fiat or crypto legally, compliantly, and with all the taxes handled in over a hundred different jurisdictions. So whether you're an early stage company with just a team of two, or you're an enterprise with 200, Toku has a solution that meets your needs. Toku is already working with the leading companies in the space, Protocol Labs, Hedera, Gitcoin, and many more. So transform your employment and token payroll operations with Toku. You can reach out to Toku at toku.com slash bankless, or click the link in the show notes. So everyone has heard uh, about the news of the Israeli-Palestine conflict, of course, an absolute tragedy last weekend. And I, I got to say for my myself, I've um, been doing a lot of doom scrolling yeah. here lately. Um, doom scrolling is in. Absolutely uh, heartbreaking. And I don't think that Bankless listeners want David Ramai's take on uh, the events that Nor are want unfolding. To give it. No. Right? Um, it's, uh, you know, we'll stay in our lane and focus on crypto here. But- there is something that um, is related to crypto, at least, that was making the news this week. I'm reading a headline here. Israeli authorities have frozen Hamas-linked crypto accounts in a report here. What are we looking at, David? Yeah, so um, a Tel Aviv-based news company organization reported that Binance also assisted in the shutting down of Hamas-linked accounts. So these are crypto exchanges. Uh, quote here, with the outbreak of war, Hamas launched a fundraising campaign on social networks asking the public to deposit cryptocurrencies into its account. Uh, so the cyber unit acted immediately to locate and freeze the accounts with the assistance of Binance Crypto Exchange in order to fund fit, forfeit the funds to state authorities. Mm. Uh, and actually, this story doesn't even begin with the conflict. Uh, Hamas apparently has been raising funds using crypto for a number of years now. Uh, and so this is a Wall Street Journal article that came out with a with a headline, Hamas militants, can you scroll up, can you scroll up, Hamas militants, Hamas militants behind Israel attack raise millions in crypto. Digital currency transactions highlight how U.S. and Israel have struggled to sever the access of Hamas and Palestine Islamic Jihad and Hezbollah from foreign funding. So the story sound, here is like- It sounds a little crypto, bit like a hit piece though. Crypto terrorist financing uh, yeah. is, is really what's going on. And, and well, like the, the, to, there was multiple millions of dollars throughout 2021 into 2023 of Bitcoin transfers towards uh, Hamas military group. I think something like uh, 10 to $20 million, which, which is a lot. In the, in the article, it says, it couldn't be determined whether the crypto that, that they received was directly used to finance the assault. Uh, researchers, I don't know who these researchers are, but this is what the article says, said that um, it would have likely have been a very small percentage of the overall amount that funds flowed through to finance the assault. But I, again, I don't know how they came to that conclusion. But, Something very important was left out of the report that came from Sam Lindman, an analysis from a, a Twitter account, Sam Lindman. Ryan, what does it say? A critical context was missing from the piece on Hamas and crypto. In April 2023, Hamas warned its donors to stop sending Bitcoin. Why? Because the transparent nature of the blockchain had Western intelligence following their every transaction like bloodhounds. Ooh. Hence the sudden drop on the chart. There's a reason money laundering via Bitcoin has been called a classically dumb crime. It shines a spotlight on everyone involved. Remember this as the usual suspects ramp up their anti-crypto rhetoric in the weeks to come. 
that's what I think this was, mm -hmm. David, was anti-crypto rhetoric. Right. Um, I don't think that crypto or Bitcoin is a good way right now to raise funds mm -hmm. for uh, terrorists. It is open, it is a public, it is transparent, mm -hmm. and it does have Western intelligence mm -hmm. bloodhounds. You know, right. some of them are companies, very sophisticated companies, yeah. following every yeah. single transaction. As much as we tease Chainalysis for being narcs, they also prevent terrorist financing. And so this Twitter account takes a screenshot of the chart and points to where Hamas says, hey, stop sending us Bitcoin, everyone can see it. And then the Bitcoin flows just drop to zero. Uh, so, you know, important context. Yeah, um, I think so. David, uh, some other context, a, a lot is going on in the world today. This is a tweet from crypto founder Alan Murak. I got drafted. Situation on the ground is significantly worse than described. Massacre is the only word that comes to mind. 90% civilians, families. Wow, this is somebody who just got uh, drafted. Mm -hmm. um, this is a founder of a SSV network, shared secret validator network, uh, kind of uh, basically DBT. Um, it's definitely crazy. It's like in my network, I don't know if in yours, but um, you know, yeah. people are getting drafted, right? Like, Yeah. I, I was in Tel Aviv in February uh, and met a bunch of people who I've heard now have both been called into the reserves, which are being called into the reserves is apparently much better than being on the front lines. Um, mm. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like there's, there's just a lot of crypto founders in, in Israel, like Starkware is all in Israel. Just like, this is extremely disruptive to parts of the crypto industry. Like we have a large footprint in Israel. There's that. And then there's the other context. Like, um, you ever want to read a pick me up, go read Ray Dalio. He just sent this email, David, and I just uh, saw the, the headline here and the, the first um, paragraph, what happened and is happening between Israel and Hamas. Like what happened and is happening between Ukraine and Russia should raise revulsion and fear in everyone. This is true, both because these conflicts reveal the unimaginably terrible and revolting ways people can and do treat other people, especially innocent civilians, and because no one anywhere can be sure that they won't someday find themselves in some horrible war. That last piece, because no one anywhere can be sure that they won't someday find themselves in horrible war absolutely crazy decade I feel like we've we've entered and there's not a lot of certainty and it feels like these sorts of things are hitting closer and closer to home um so yeah it's um, been a rough week for that stuff yeah yeah like I said doom scrolling is in there's no really good way to um talk about to pivot out of this subject. yeah there's um, not there's not, not. Um, but we are talking about Farcaster next so we're going to talk about Farcaster now all right let's do it hard we'll pivot Farcaster uh, well, tell me about Farcaster. Now 100% permissionless. Uh, so you no more invites. Uh, you can now sign up directly through OP Mainnet. Users can choose any client of their choice. Uh, there's zero dependencies on Warpcast, which is uh, the first Farcaster client. Devs have full access to data and API via hubs. Farcaster, stepping into the arena, the permissionless arena. That's big. That is big. Uh, David, you ready to talk about Lido again? Yeah. Uh, we got yeah. to. Okay. This was actually a great post from... David's rock climbing buddy, my, Nike, my, Mike yeah, Neuter. Mike Neuter. I love yeah. every time we say Mike Neuter, we've got to add David's, David's rock, climbing rock climbing buddy. buddy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, fifth, five shades of gray. I haven't mm -hmm. said 50. Uh, five shades of gray. You would Lido be excused edition. from saying that if you did. <laughs> <laughs> what is uh, this post about? What's, what's the okay. TLDR? Maybe I'll just back up and provide context from our perspective, Bankless perspective. Um, once upon a time, we brought on Lido to give in defense of Lido, the episode that says, hey, Lido's 
good and we should accept it and it's great. And the ge- to it's, be clear, it's good the for guest Ethereum. was saying this. The guest yes. was saying this, yes. Uh, awesome. Just one side of the Lido, the Lido debate. The other, then we recently had on Danny Ryan, which was saying, hey, Lido's bad. It's too centralized. It's too, we should be concerned about at Lido going over 33%. Right it's now, an attack, in, in, right now, explicitly. yeah, perhaps, perhaps it's an attack. Um, right now in Ethereum, this is like kind of the, the bear market fight that we are currently going through. Is Lido good or is it bad? Like two factions fighting. Uh, and even like internal EF members don't have homogenous views about this whole thing. Like I think, uh, Danny, I think very much, very much Ethereum aligned uh, community members too, right? Yeah, um, mm-hmm. don't like it's it's pretty. Um, right. There's a diversity of views, right? There's a diversity I don't of think opinion. There's a clear yes. cut. Yeah, answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Mike Neuter also at the EF uh, wrote da- this. David's rock climbing buddy. Da- David's rock climbing buddy. Yeah, also works at the EF. Wrote this post <laughs> called "The Five Shades of Grey Lido Edition," which talked about some of the potential risks of having. Lido have over 33% control or even theoretically 100% control and what those risks actually are. So we have Lido or we have Hazu saying, here's the case that Lido's good. Here's Danny Ryan saying, here's the case that Lido's bad. And now we have Mike Neuter saying, well, like, let's be pragmatic and practical about these risks. Let's say that, uh, like, so he gives like five different variables here. Like shades of gray. Shades of gray. Uh, so on one hand, Lido's uh, roadmap clearly prioritizes decentralization. It is going to be a decentralized protocol. On the other hand, Lido financially benefits from the centralization of stake. So that's one variable. Uh, okay. On one, one side of things, Lido can launch an attack on Ethereum consensus. But in reality, the outcomes are that Ethereum survives and Lido dies. Uh, another variable, Lido is composed of 30 plus node operators, which is decentralized, it's distributed. Uh, but also DAO governance is a tool to coordinate cartel behavior. So DAO governance is the one centralizing factor. Uh, mm-hmm. Next, uh, some amount of moralistic pre- pressure may be unavoidable. So like the anti-Lido faction is just going to exist. But and also leaning too hard into altruism uh, and social enforce- enforcement is damaging. Social enforcement, I think, is perhaps one way to view a violation of credible neutrality is a way to articulate this. And then lastly, there's a, a willingness in Ethereum to improve the LST foundation, the liquid staking token foundation with layer one changes, changes to the layer one, AKA- Like protocol en- en- enshrinement. Type enshrinement, okay. yes. And then on the other hand, pragmatism while considering the effects of enshrinement. This was like Vitalik's recent post about like how do we choose to enshrine something. Yeah. So, so Mike is just like talking about the various- attack vectors and the reality and the pragmatism about like, okay, sure, Lido could totally attack Ethereum, but why would it do that? That would be dumb and bad for Lido. Like kind of nuanced stuff like this. Great post, great post. Yeah, I think it's a great post. There's definitely some shades of gray. You know, the cleanest thing though, David, and I think this is gonna be a take of yours later, mm-hmm. if I'm predicting your takes later, is actually to have some competitors enter right. the ring. Some, some, some vampire competitors. Tackles. Where are they? Where are they? I will invoke the words of Danny Ryan. Where is the vampire attacks? (laughs) Maybe you got one. So stay tuned for that, uh, Bankless Nation. David's got an update on that. Um, Did you see Sam Altman on Joe Rogan, David? I did not, actually. Okay, neither did I. It's just some long episodes here. And, you know, Bankless is my only podcast I listen to. So Everyone uh, must listen to all Bankless weekly episodes before they go out of the extracurriculars. But there these was are, there was rules. some crypto takes here. So this is Sam Altman speaking about crypto. He's not talking about WorldCoin here. He's just talking about crypto in general. I'm going to play the clip. Here it is. Studied the world more and had to work in more places in the world. Like it's amazing how much corruption there still is. But the shift to a technologically enabled world 
I think is a major force against it because everything is, it's harder to hide stuff. Mm. And I do think corruption in the world will keep trending down. Because of its exposure. Yeah. Through technology. If, I mean, it comes at a cost. And I think the loss that like, I am very worried about how far the surveillance state could go here. Mm. But in a world where payments, for example, are no longer like bags of cash, but done somehow digitally and somebody, even if you're using Bitcoin, can like watch those flows. Mm. I think that's like a corruption reducing thing. I agree, but I'm very worried about central bank digital currency and that being tied to a social credit score. That super, scares, super against. Yeah, that scares the super, shit out of me. Super against. And that the push to that is not, that's not for the overall good of society. That's for control. Yeah, I, I think like, I mean, there's many things that I'm disappointed that the U.S. government has done recently. But the the war on crypto, which I think is a like, we can't give this up. Like, we're going to control this mm. and all this, like, that. That's like. Make that that's the thing that like makes me quite sad about the country. Wow. Okay. War on crypto is yeah. a thing that he's most disappointed about for the US. Um good take here. I mean, I can't I mean, disagree with that. I also agree. I think he probably just sees crypto as just like writing on the canary in the coal mine for what's about to happen to AI. He's like with yeah. these are synonymous fights. There's also a, a later Joe Rogan take on Bitcoin itself. I mean, the the real fascinating crypto is Bitcoin. To me, I mean, that's the one that I think has the most likely possibility of becoming uh, a universal viable currency. And it's, you know, it's limited in the amount that there can be. It's, you know, you, you, people mine it with their own computer. It's like, before. that to me is very fascinating. Yeah. And I love the fact that it's been implemented. This, is, this is the classic Jeff using Rogan's. the idea of Bitcoin more than uh, Bitcoin specifically. Yeah, uh, but what a powerful idea it is. Yeah. And you, you could argue that Bitcoin has certainly enshrined itself in the meme wars here. Yes. Um, David, here's something weird. You know that uh, that exchange that started on Avalanche is called Trader Joe's. Mm. I've, I've no, always no, it's wondered. No, no, it's called Trader Joe. Trader Joe, okay. Trader, Trader Joe. I've always wondered how Trader Joe got away with calling their exchange Trader Joe when there is a Trader Joe's grocery store that like I go to on like a weekly basis. Oh yeah, you're a Trader Joe's guy? Oh yeah, I'm a, yeah. I'm a big Trader Joe's guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like I love the culture, I love the vibe. I don't know, I'm a, I'm a big fan. And apparently Trader Joe's, the grocery chain store has said no more. US grocery chain Trader Joe's is suing the crypto platform that's matching their name. So uh, there you go, it's happening. God, the news Not just is, Gary Gensler news coming is slow after us this week, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but this is kind of cool. Uh, Uniswap, it's getting their first zk EVM. What's going on here? Yeah, Uniswap has been deployed to zk Sync via Oku Trade. Uh, we've seen um, Uniswap be deployed everywhere, but this one is the first zk Rollup version of Uniswap. So pretty cool. Awesome, pretty cool. David. What's coming up next, my friend? Coming up next, questions from the nation. Are you guys seeing bottom signals yet? God damn it, yes. We've been seeing them all year. We'll talk about them. Uh, Chris Berninski gives us his ultimate sell signal for next bull market. Uh, you know, we have to all, all have to remember to set up a plan while you're sober. You have to press the sell button and think about selling the pre press the sell button when you are sober if you do plan on pressing the sell button. Chris Berninski gives you his sell signal. 
and we'll talk about mm, that. The ultimate uh, as well sequel. as, of course, uh, what I'm bullish on, which is the vampire attack on Lido, and what Ryan's bullish on, which I don't even know about. We'll, we'll get to that and more, but first a moment. But first a moment to talk about these fantastic sponsors that make this show possible. Cello is the mobile-first, EVM-compatible, carbon-negative blockchain built for the real world. And now, something big is happening. Introducing the Cello Layer 2. It's a game-changing proposal that's going to bring Cello's rapidly growing ecosystem home to Ethereum. Vitalik has shared his excitement for the Cello Layer 2 on the Cello Forum. So has Ben Jones from Optimism. But why? The Cello Layer 2 will bring huge advantages, like a decentralized sequencer, off-chain data availability, and one block finality. What does all that mean? Rock-solid security, a trustless bridge to Ethereum, and more real world use cases for Ethereum without compromise. And real world adoption is happening. Active addresses on Celo have grown over 500% in the last six months. With the Celo Layer 2, gas fees will stay low and you can even pay for gas using ERC20 tokens. But Celo is a community governed protocol. This means that Celo needs you to weigh in and make your voice heard. Join the conversation in the Celo forum. Follow at Celo.org on Twitter and visit Celo.org to shape the future of Ethereum. You know Uniswap, it's the world's largest decentralized exchange with over $1.4 trillion in trading volume. You know this because we talk about it endlessly on Bankless. It's Uniswap, but Uniswap is becoming so much more. Uniswap Labs just released the Uniswap Mobile Wallet for iOS, the newest, easiest way to trade tokens on the go. With a Uniswap wallet, you can easily create or import a new wallet, buy crypto on any available exchange with your debit card with extremely low fiat on-ramp fees, and you can seamlessly swap on Mainnet, Polygon, Arbitrum, and Optimism. On the Uniswap mobile wallet, you can store and display your beautiful NFTs, and you can also explore Web3 with the in-app search features, market leaderboards, and price charts, or use Wallet Connect to connect to any Web3 application. So you can now go directly to DeFi with the Uniswap mobile wallet. Safe, simple custody from the most trusted team in DeFi. Download the Uniswap wallet today on iOS. There's a link in the show notes. Questions of the week. This one from Bankless Citizen Caesar Severus, Xerox Caesar Severus. Of course, I should get that right. Uh, so many TradFi and crypto bottom signals out there. How do you contain your excitement? 10-year and 2-year yields look peaked. BOJ, that's the Bank of Japan, switching gears. ETH, Bitcoin, TA looks near bottom. I feel like I'm ready to dance every time I check. Man, that's the kind of bullishness I need in my life, yep. David. Yeah, yeah. I love that. It's not even a question. Well, mm -hmm. it kind of is. How do you contain your excitement <laughs> is the official question, actually. <laughs> well, this felt like more like a comment question. Mm -hmm. uh, what's your reflection on this? How, how do you, David Hoffman, contain your excitement right now? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm just, we've just been getting 2019 vibes for the past like four months or so. The uh, the contrarianism that is crypto is peaking. Like it is so contrarian to be a crypto investor, to be in crypto in this present moment while yeah. prices are just going down, 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 down. Uh, and mm. so like the bullish signals, uh, we've had Eric B on talking about uh, the Bitcoin and Ether ETFs, which TLDR, he just said soon TM, like 75% chance of Bitcoin ETF before the end of the year. And the Ether ETF as a fast follow, wow, was not expecting that level of bullishness. Um, crypto prices are down. Um, uh, like so many things are happening. Like all, like the the risk to reward for crypto is like been up only all bear market. And especially with prices like in the absolute like doghouse, uh, this is, this is, I am so bullish. However, you can't just be bullish all the time. It's fatiguing. <laughs> It's very fatiguing uh, yeah. and you need to like the market will be weird and against your opinion for longer than you will be able to have like over outsized exposure to crypto. 
So just because we all think it's going to be bullish season sometime soon, like you have to be patient. Um, when, the, the cool thing that was uh, the bull market of 2020, pre-2021, is that anyone who was in crypto in 2019 saw the 2021 bull market happening in 2020. We had like six months of crescendoing excitement and activity that was DeFi summer that mm. led into NFT mania. Mm-hmm. And ETH price, the blue chips, Bitcoin price, almost didn't do anything. They really didn't do anything. They kind of went up. Uh, mm-hmm. Like Bitcoin, Ether broke above $360 and went up to $480, which like we all knew was like, yo, it's on. Like we haven't seen $400 in two and a half years. It's, it's on. And then like two months later, we were at $1,700 or something where we are now. Um, but we had six months of like very strong indications of crypto is in before the blue chips ran. And so like, I think what I'm saying is like, you know, be excited and be patient. Uh, it will take time. It'll probably take more time than you think, but it, things will get excited, exciting again before prices move if we are pattern matching between 2019. Does that make sense? Do you agree? Yeah, but that wasn't the question, David. The question how do was, I contain my how do you contain your excitement? Oh, I'm telling them to not get too excited. Like, okay. spread it out. So you dampen spread, it. Spread, spread, out, spread your out your excitement. Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, that's that's a good answer. I don't have yes. anything better. I just I just doom scroll, I guess, to contain you my excitement. <laughs> that's what I that's what I've been doing lately. Uh takes of the week. Here we go. The first take from Chris Berninsky. David, I've always wondered, next bull cycle, we know it's coming. Mm-hmm. How will we know it's the top? How do we know when to s- sell? What's the the sell signal? Is it mm-hmm. Katy Perry's nails? Remember that was like 2017. Yeah, that was a great 2017 top that, signal. That was like yeah. a Insta- She she put different um, cryptocurrencies crypto as her fingernail paint. Yeah, that like was 2017. I think IOTA was on there. We <laughs> should have known in 2017. Cardano was on there. Okay, yeah. how about how about 2022? What was the um, FTX oh, buy, buying uh, Miami Heat Arena? Oh, that's a good. Yeah, that's all, a good. All one. the arenas top being signal. bought. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. So, what's going to be the next top signal? Well, Chris Berninsky has the answer. What are we looking at here? <laughs> okay. So this is this has been going around in just like normal culture. Uh, this has been in vogue. There's this big structure in Las Vegas. It's a <laughs> dome. It's a very big dome, and it's all uh, LEDs. It's a complete massive dome of LEDs. And right now, we're looking at this massive smiley face on it. Uh, I've seen it be a basketball promoting some like basketball game. I've seen the inside of it and it's like one of the coolest looking concert arenas of all time. Really? Uh, and advertising on the sphere will cost $450,000 a day or $650,000 a week. Huh. The sell sell signal is when you see some dumb startup exchange call it <laughs> call it some like letter FTX or something. It's not going to be an exchange next cycle, David. Don't don't. It's going to be something new. It's going to be something different. Maybe some some crew, cool new crypto thing that has never existed before. That's probably a fraud. Uh, <laughs> is is a buying advertising space on the sphere? I think that is just a good take. All right. So I guess the, we're we're not doing this huh? in twenty twenty four. We're not putting yeah. the bankless podcast on when, this thing. When you see NFTs on the on the sphere, yeah, you need to sell those NFTs. <laughs> okay. There we go. We got our top yeah. signals prepared yeah. already. This is a take from Justin Leroux. What uh, what are we looking at here? It looks like ads in the paper. What's he saying? Yeah, we're looking at uh, the Argentine paper and then also Argentine uh, uh, Nikes. Uh, so you could buy a car in 20, 2006 in Argentina for 31,000 pesos. 31,000 pesos. Brand new uh, car. Brand new car in 2006. In the year 2023, you can buy a... 
pair of sneakers for 36,000 pesos. Wow. So from car to sneaker from 2006 to 2023. Wow. That's absolute that's, currency. That's debasement. inflation. That's, that's what inflation. that looks like. Yeah. And, okay. There we go. Um, David, what are you bullish on this week? Don't tell me it's um, the Argentine right. peso. It's not the Argentine peso. No, I'm <laughs> okay. bullish on vampire attacks. You know what a vampire oh, attack is, right, Ryan? I do. Uh, but tell me, refresh refresh our audience. Okay. Before I go into this, I'm going to disclaim I am an angel investor in the thing that I'm talking about right now. Oh, so you're shilling um, us right now. I'm, I am full shill, committing the sin. I am the worst Etc. 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 You can All see right, full disclosures shill. at bankcom slash disclosures. Tell me, uh, you dirty shell. What do you got? Okay, we're doing the vampire attack. Okay, so Lido's got fourteen billion dollars of TVL. That is vampire attackable. One thing that Danny Ryan was talking about in his podcast with us and the others, just like, where's the competition? Where's the vampire attack? He literally said, Other "Where's the LST vampire attack?" Staking mm-hmm. providers right. actually trying to eat into Lido's market share is what you're talking about. Exactly. So how how would a vampire attack work? We saw this with SushiSwap versus Uniswap. Uh, they you take Ether or staked Ether from Lido. So you buy staked Ether from Lido, and then you go over to Diva, the protocol in question, and you deposit it in the Diva vaults. And then you get rewarded with Diva tokens for putting TVL into the Diva vaults. And mm. then Diva swaps the staked Ether for Diva Ether and gives you back tokens. So it's incentivizing. It's an economic incentive for you to take Lido's TVL and put it in Diva's vaults and you'll get Diva tokens for it. Why would I want, uh, besides the token incentive, why do I care? Like, why is that better than Lido? Uh, okay. Oh, so that, okay. Why, are, why is Diva? What is Diva? What is Diva? Mm. Diva is a LST protocol which if I wanted to encapsulate what it is in a meme, in a very short sentence. So you know how like layer twos are going after EVM equivalents, like Optimism, Arbitrum are trying to go after EVM equivalents. They are trying to be one-to-one compatible with Ethereum. That's kind of their Mm -hmm. strategy. Diva is doing something very similar with Ethereum staking. So it uses a lot of the same infrastructure of Ethereum staking as a microcosm of Ethereum. So it's like a fractal spinoff, a mini version of grander Ethereum proof of stake inside of the Diva vaults. What do I mean by this? How does it work? Uh, Diva uses DVT, Distributed Validator Technology, aka squad staking, uh, and they make a, a and they have the Diva contracts. And you, as a validator who can run a node, can permissionlessly, unlike Lido, permissionlessly enter the Diva registrar with just one ether as collateral. And you run a node, and using DVT, you band together with others to produce a staking uh, a validator when it's time for Diva to produce a block. And so right. there's this band of Diva validators that have at least one, one Ether of capital, and they register with the Diva contract by submitting the uh, Ether into their contracts. And then using DVT, when Diva is called upon to produce a block for Ethereum, 16 independent validators come together to, promo- to create a virtual node. This is how DVT works. Uh, and then they produce the block. And then that is the Diva produced LST block. And then Diva- like just that, in time, at the time the block is produced, mm-hmm. these 16 mm-hmm. come together like yes. randomly. They're randomly yes. selected. Randomly selected. How are they randomly selected? They use the beacon chain Randau randomness, which is how Ethereum proof of stake also selects for Ethereum validators. So it's, it's repurposing and reusing components of Ethereum staking to produce Diva staking with this one very core piece of unlock technology, which is DVT. Uh, and so Lido curates professional validators that have their one job of being high, having high uptime. And it's curated and permissioned to professionals, to the experts. DVT 
is that technology that democratizes that power to the masses, where if one of the 16 people that come together or three or five of them are down because they're amateurs, because of DVT, you only need parts of uh, that squad to sign off and everyone is up. And so it's it's how you get 99.9999% uptime because you have redundancy without dual slashing risk. Uh, so it is a technically, in my mind, my opinion, technically superior protocol that is also executing a vampire attack upon Lido, which is why I'm bullish. So you think it has a, a credible chance at pulling some very of this market share away and mm-hmm. is uh, more decentralized than yes. um, than some of the alternatives yeah. out there. That's very cool. Well, yeah. um, another disclaimer I'll add for you as well is this is a very new protocol, of it's course. I think yeah. you're you're writing a post about this, which is uh, you know why I know, today. but. Yeah. But uh, smart contract risk is the key thing you have to like worry all, about like all at this stage of the game. Like all protocols. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, there you go. All right. Well, thank you, David, for yep. your your shill fest there. Sh- absolutely. Uh, the worst. I am the worst. <laughs> absolutely worst. I mean, it's good to have some competition in the ring yep. for sure. And this is a credible right. attempt at it. And there are right. there are others coming down the pike too, but uh, I'm excited too. Overall, I'm just a fan of the drama. I, I like, know you are. I like I the know. drama. You just, just step right in, don't you, my friend? Um, uh, all gas. All right. You got to ask me the question now. Ryan, what are you bullish on? I'm bullish on the price of ETH. Speaking of shillers. <laughs> it's like a really good price right now. It, it reminds really me of, um, do, do you remember 2019, 2020, when we were floating in this range of between, it was like 150 and like 200, 250 type that range and it felt like we were there forever. Mm-hmm. 1600 is like the new 200 to me. Well, we're at and 1530, so we're well below 1600. There you go. This whole range, right? The whole range, think of like 1000 to like 1600 is kind right. of the range, I feel like. Right. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. A thousand, thousand be a bit low, but that to me is parallels between like 150 and 300, where it felt like we were floating there forever. Um, and like, I think when you're evaluating the price of ETH, you have to ask yourself of like, is it going to go down again, right? And the answer to that is, yeah, it could totally spike down. I mean, we could get to a thousand. We could go even below a thousand. Macro could go crazy as well. But I guess I'm just feeling echoes of the last fractal pattern of the 200 to 300 range, except this time there's no existential, like, are we going to make it type of crisis? There's like more building, there's more block space there's more money printing going on than ever before. Um, and yeah, I um, I think it's a very bullish good time to start, if you haven't already, buying Ether. Yeah. And I, I remember like a series of tweets I started making within this price range of like, ETH at 200 is hilarious. And I kept like tweeting this out as it would hit 220 and you know, it would go higher and higher. I'm almost at that stage where I feel like the price of ETH is just... Um, very low Stupidly relative to the ROR. potential. Yeah. Almost there. It's almost stupid. It's almost stupid. Um, one other thing I was I was thinking of with Ether in general is, are we investing in ETH, David, because we're uber optimistic or because we're uber pessimistic? Bro, you're going to bring question. an existential question into this end of the weekly roll-up. And I a was buzzer just like, beater 50-minute question. I forgot, right? It's like, it's for me, it's a little bit of both. It's 100% both. The world's yeah, what's your apart. take on that? World's are, falling are we, apart, and we're putting okay. it back together. So it, there's some optimism and some pep- pessimism there. The pessimism is the world's falling apart. The optimism is we're building something. We have new. we have the solutions. 
If we didn't have the solutions, then it would just be pessimism, but we have the solution. So it's a weird place to be, right? Right. When you, when you look out and it's, I mean, really shitty week for the world. Right. Uh, So I I gave this take during the Linalden debrief that only goes out to bankless premium subscribers who, who subscribe to the ad. There you go. Shilling again. There you go. Shilling. Ad free RSS feed. So if you never (laughs) want to hear another bankless shill about other people's products, you can just hear me shill about my products. So this is a take that I gave on, on the premium feed. Uh, like, uh, I think we, we, during 2021, you and I were just like ultrasound money, ultrasound money, burn, 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 burn. Uh, maybe we kind of over index on that. Maybe that was exhausting for the listeners. Um, why do we focus on the burn so much? Is it because the ETH, when ETH burn, it goes number go up and that's what we want because we're here for the money. Or are we looking at the Argentine peso inflate at 150% a year? The Turkish lira inflate at over hundred percent a year. Uh, you, the United States dollar has a destiny to inflate. And we are looking at people's savings being like eaten away, either slowly inside the United States or extremely rapidly everywhere else. We're watching uh, just uh, the GDP of global economies fall apart as a result of this, entering low trust societies as a result of fiscal mismanagement at best and corruption at worst, which leads to more inflation. Uh, so when we see Ethereum, the protocol, having economic surplus and taking that surplus and putting it back into the money via the burn. And we are increasing the savings of the user base, the holder base of Ether as a direct inverse relationship to the decay of people's savings and the decay of the fiscal situation in the United States. That is why we celebrate the burn. It is the, it is the same reason why we shit on inflation is why we celebrate the burn. It is a and it's a benefit to the savers, to the widest possible distribution of the Ethereum network, the Ether holders. It is something to celebrate. It is something optimistic. It is a reason to be optimistic about the future. We are putting back, we are strengthening our economy. And so it's not just number go up. It is the inversion of the things that we are bearish about in society. That's why we celebrate the burn. Well, that is uh, well said, my friend. That that is the most spiritual reason to support the burn mm-hmm. ever. Right. Uh, you know, not just number go up. Um, yeah. I, but also I agree number go up. Oh. Yeah, that, that's part of it too. Uh, well, come for the money, the, stay for the tech. Come for the number, tech, stay for the money. Doesn't matter. The, just stay. <laughs> Please stay. Num- number is not going up though right now, and that's the meme of the week. Look at this. Yeah. Uh, what are we looking at here? <laughs> meme of the week. Uh, the the meme line is the sellers are getting exhausted, and then we have a picture of the sellers. I don't know if the, if I should know who this person is, but he looks like he could run three marathons in a row. <laughs> they are not exhausted. They are not that exhausted. point in the market. Yeah. Um, there we go. Disclosures. Uh, we mentioned David and I. I. I didn't mention myself. I am also an angel mm-hmm. investor in Diva. Maybe that's why I yeah. let you go on so long about it. Um, <laughs> We've got all of our investments on the bankless.com slash disclosures page. Just a reminder, we don't do paid content. We're not journalists. We are long-term investors. Risks and disclaimers. Crypto is risky. You could lose what you put in, but we are headed west. This is the frontier. It's not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the bankless journey. Thanks a lot.